just going to be rude and crude. <laughs> we need to tell me that. We, we need to learn more easily how to say who cares. <laughs> oh yeah. Who cares? <laughs> the the thing about it is is that human being and I don't mean to be indifferent. We've all felt the same hurt and pain. So it's not like, well, I have no reference point for hurt or pain or discomfort. But at some point, we want to get to the place where we judge the discomfort in light of eternal life, right? And we want it to get whacked into perspective, Yes. right? We understand why Jay's mom could be very upset. All of us. Do you know what we spend our whole lives doing? Trying to put in place the things that we say we need to have comfort. We spend our whole lives doing that, trying to arrange everything in a certain way to where we're like, okay, we're okay, I, I, I'm okay. It's like when you have a hot bath and you're just <laughs> easing into it, right? And it gets to that perfect, ah. We spend our whole lives doing that. We get everything in place and we think we're okay. And then it changes and we feel completely dis- discombobulated. We feel like our whole life has been uprooted and then we're dealing with the pain of how that feels. And we've all experienced, we're going to experience that our whole lives. Because you might have this decade, you got things situated this way, and you feel great comfort. Then the next decade, it all changes. Well, then you're busy situating it again. Okay, comfort, you ease into it. And then it all changes again, right? And so your mom probably ha- has experienced a lot of discomfort in, in going into the home to begin with. Yes. And then she probably adjusted, right? Yeah. And okay, okay, I can at least cope with this. And now it's all changed again. Right. And... It can be, I've seen it with people later in their years. Mm-hmm. The ability to adjust again to becomes more and more difficult, right? It feels more and more painful. Yep. Mm-hmm. It feels more and more like a stripping down mm-hmm. of what you need, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when I say who cares, it's not to suggest that you lack compassion. What What is to suggest is a a putting in perspective what it is we're dealing with, right? right? Because then you'll find great strength and grace to walk through. You'll find great strength and grace to always adapt and overcome and enjoy life, which is why we say who cares to begin with. You say who cares because you care about people enjoying life, and you realize the things that they're very concerned about, right, aren't really life and death. But we all got our own little file of things we think are life and death, right? And we got them all there, right? And if any of them change, right? So this is it the scooter? Yes. Yeah, the scooter has become life and death. Absolutely. Yes. It, Absolutely. The, the scooter became like the bridge to her having some normalcy. Yeah. And now she's dealing with the grief of feeling that she has no normalcy anymore. And she's feeling tired. Yeah. And she's feeling like, I can't overcome again. Right? And she's feeling defeated. Yeah. And so it's like in in those moments, depending on who the person is, I'll just pray with them. And I'll pr- just pray the truth with them. Mm-hmm. Right? I'll come alongside them in an intercessory kind of a way. Right? Where to come to the aid, to their aid in their distress. And I'll just pray the truth with them. Yeah. And if I think it's a person that doesn't want that or that's going to throw them off, then I'll pray privately with myself and God for them, right? And what I'll do is I'll just connect with God and, and, and the, the compassion He feels in their heart for them. Mm-hmm. And I'll connect 
being able to discern what's coming against their heart. And I'll just pray for them, right? Knowing that the comforting hand of God is resting upon their life. Myself knowing that it isn't life or death, but at the same time understanding why they feel so hurt, right? right? And what's coming against them. And we've all experienced that with our kids, right? I say with our kids, I don't have any kids. Um, But parents, when you had little kids and they fell down or they tripped and you could see that it was like, no big deal, (laughs) right? It's all good. But they're like wailing like they're going to die, right? You you can discern that who cares, right? It's going to be okay. It's not a big deal, right? You got a little brush burn, bro, right? Your skin might feel tight when you get out the bath for the next couple days, but really you're straight. Right. I have, I have, I've just been given permission to tell this story. <laughs> you, Cal, we all know how lovable Callie is. When she was a little girl, maybe four years old, she was heartbroken, like crying her eyes out, sitting on my lap, saying, I'll never have any friends. And now she has nothing but friends. She has got more friends that love her like you would believe. But from her perspective, it was like life and death, yeah. right? Yeah. And from my perspective, his father was like, you have no idea what's in you and how lovable you are. That's exactly right. And with like Gene, the first thing I would do if I thought I had a window is I would identify with Gene's hurt. Meaning, I know, right? It's difficult. It's hard. Like, I would be soft with her. And then what I would do is I would see that she's feeling like she's being overcome because her own strength and ability has gotten lifted up in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And so part of my prayer would be to acknowledge the God that's in her and how she is the temple of the living God, right? right? And how God will stand up in her and how God will overcome the adversity right? Because it has a subtle effect where you're not just praying to God. You're not trying to twist God's arm to do something. You're acknowledging the truth in their presence, right? right? And then they have the opportunity to participate in that truth with you, right? To be led into the truth that maybe you can't adjust, Gene. You know what? But it's not dependent on you being able to adjust. God is in you, right? right? And right now, what's gotten lifted up in her eyes is the weakness she feels, the weakness she sees, Mm -hmm. and then the pain, Right? And that's a normal effect. But Paul talked about that the, 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 the death he saw in his life, the weakness he saw in his body, served to remind him of the treasure that was within. Yeah. Right? That's he so didn't good. start feeding on so the weakness good. he saw, but when he saw the weakness, he thought of the treasure that was within. And that's where he found the grace when he got stoned and left for dead for preaching the gospel to get right back up and go into the next town the next day and say the exact same thing, right? right? Because the weakness, the pain, the hurt that he felt, he didn't think, look at all this pain, look at all this hurt, look at all this weakness. He didn't chew on that. He didn't make that his daily bread. But what he made his daily bread was the treasure that he had inside of that earthen vessel that had been bruised. And which treasure was a life that even stood up out of the grave? It says Paul was stoned and left for dead. And they're all standing around Paul thinking he's dead. This guy's dead. And all of a sudden, that guy stands up, right? The reason he stood up is because the treasure that was inside of him is a life that overcomes the weakness of our mortal bodies. 
And so that life stood up in him. It wasn't Paul standing up. It was the life that he had from God, the same life that stood up out of the man, Jesus Christ, when he was put in a grave. Dead, dead. He stood up out of the grave. Paul had that same life in him. He gets stoned and left for dead. Then he stands up out of the grave. And he didn't just stand up out of the grave and say, that was a close call, man. I think I'm done here. Right? He stood up and went into the next town with the mark of shame all over his face, looking like Rocky Balboa, having been stoned and left for dead, which, do you know, that spoke a strong word to the, the region of Galatia that this guy was considered to be a religious blasphemer. This guy had been marked with the scarlet letter, meaning he's a heretic. That's what, that's what you do with the heretic. You stone him to death. So now he comes into Galatia having just been stoned for what he preached. Yeah. He didn't. Who cares? If the next town stones me to death, I have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Right? That treasure will stand up inside of me and I'll go on to the next town. Which is why Paul says they didn't despise him for his appearance. Right. If you read the letter to the Galatians, he talks about how they didn't despise him for his appearance. He's talking about right after... Go read Acts. You can piece it together if you like. Right after... The, it's much more historical in the Bible than you actually think. Right? It's not the historicity that gives us our faith. But I promise you the historicity is there. If you actually want to do the time to put it together. Right? He stands up and he goes into town, and they received him as if he wasn't a heretic. Right? They didn't despise him for looking like Rocky Balboa. Cut me, Mick. Cut me. You can see Paul standing up. Get a rock. Cut my eye. I can't see. I've got to get this blood out of my swollen eyeball. <laughs> right? Yeah, no ice packs then. No. 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 And so, yeah. Listen, we, it's okay to feel the weakness. We don't despise one another for feeling the weakness, but that's not what we want our daily bread to become, right? And we need each other to remind us of that because all of us can find ourselves in the place where our bread that day has become the weakness we see or the crookedness we see or the inability that we see, right? That's one of the reasons why we meet so that we don't become forgetful hearers. Right? Forgetful hearer means that you're no longer listening. That's how you forget. It's not talking about an intellectual thing where you knew it and then, well, poof, you forgot. It means you stopped hearing it and thus became forgetful. Right? You stopped engaging with it and thus became forgetful. If you stop engaging with God over the word that he's spoken in Jesus, I promise you, eventually, you're going to be a forgetful hearer. Yes. I don't care who you are. Right? right? <laughs> Even Jesus, the Son of Man, if he stopped engaging with God around the truth that was the life they shared together, around the truth of where life was found and where it wasn't found, if he stopped connecting with the Father as he walked through this word, Jesus would have become a forgetful hearer. That's why I, I tell everybody so much to hear and keep on hearing. Hear and keep on hearing. You're not trying to gain an intellectual understanding where you have your certificate now and you hang your certificate up on the wall. You've graduated. Right. You don't need to go back to college. That's not what it's like. It's a continual feeding. That's why it's called uh, daily bread. Right? Yeah. 
It's your daily bread. Right. The message is your daily bread. You eat it daily. It isn't an intellectual exercise, although your intellect can also be animated with the bread of life. Right? Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like you're preaching to the heart. You're not preaching to the head. Right. Now, the head can understand, but you're not preaching to the head. You're preaching to the heart. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Happy Mother's Day to all you ladies that I didn't get a chance to say. Happy Mother's Day, too. Right? And I hope you guys all know that there is a motherly nature that's present in all women, whether they've physically given birth to a child or not. Right? Whether they've physically given birth to a child or not, there is a motherly characteristic in you that is a great blessing in all your relationships i mean thomas is talking about how many friends callie has do you know why callie has so many friends because there is a nurturer there is a comforter there is a kind soft nature in her that's motherly that's being motherly right the world might define motherly just as you gave birth to a child That's not the only definition of being motherly, right? It has much more to do with a nurturing, a comforting, a gentle touch, a soft word, right? An effect that you have on the people around you, right? And I know husbands don't want to hear this and wives maybe don't want to hear this too, but you have a motherly effect on your husbands or your your boyfriends or girlfriends. I mean, we have that funny cliche where we might say to our wives, husbands, okay, mom. <laughs> and why do we say that? Why do we say, okay, mom? What are, what are they busy doing? And he, listen, I would say that to some of my lady friends, girl, okay, mom. Yeah. Right? No, you can't go. You Okay, mom. Right? Like when we were going to the French Quarter for Mardi Gras and there was going to be trouble, all the girls didn't want us to go. Why do you think they didn't want us to go? There's a motherly nature in them that wants to care, that wants to nurture, that wants to incubate life, that wants to see life come forth, that wants to pamper, that wants to speak softly, right? There's a motherly quality in everybody. We say, okay, mom, because they're caring for our lives. They're trying to nurture us. They're trying to take care of us. You know why? Because men, sorry, guys, forgive my language, but we suck at taking care of ourselves. Amen. We do. We and, and in particularly, we're very deficient. Guys, you, you should deal with this. We're very deficient at dealing with what's on the inside. We no no no. And we busy ourselves to avoid dealing with it. We busy ourselves with external things to avoid dealing with what's on the inside. Right? No no no. No no no. I'm tough. I'm strong. I don't need to get in touch with my emotions. Thank God for the women that love us anyway, right? Even though they could see things in us tormenting us and they watch us avoid it all our lives, right? But man, you might take a deep breath and think, well, maybe the women in my life know something I don't know. Maybe they see something I don't see. And maybe I ought to listen to what they say more. Maybe I ought to give more value to what's in them and what they see, even if I think it's different than what I see. They're supposed to see life differently than you. They think differently than you. They view things differently than you. They process things differently than you. And the way they do all that is a good thing. And many times men can look at the way a woman thinks, a woman processes, a woman views life and think that it's a deficiency. 
Because it's not like them. I promise you, you need the way they view life. You need the way they process. You need the way they think. It's not a thorn in your side. Right? It's not a thorn in your side. It's like if you, if you wanted to take God and eliminate the Holy Spirit. And just have the Father and the Son. That's what it's like when we try to despise the way the woman is. The softness, the emotions, the nurturing, the caring about life, right? Does that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. You guys understand? When I have a, a legal argument that I'm putting together for a case, uh, I will run it by Lisa because she will see something I don't see. And it's usually a pretty good idea or a way of putting something to persuade or that doesn't make any sense. I didn't know that it didn't make sense before, but she'll point out why something doesn't make Or she's lying. Or he's lying. She's got an intuition. She can pick up on something real fast. I'm like, I'm, I'm well aware that she's got uh, some abilities and a uh, makeup that I don't have when it comes back down to South Or if you have, uh, like I'm not real com- uh, confident about colors. You know, picking up colors. What's, what, are, what are good colors? I don't know what good colors are. I know what I like. But she, she's got, she sees things that I don't see. I definitely see that. Yeah. It's a nesting quality. Right, there's probably a better term, but it's a homemaking mm-hmm. quality that is present in women. Right, the the ability to make something look nice. Like when I come to church, if Becky's out of town or something, and I'm setting up for like food or something, I'm just setting stuff up mechanically. Right, just the mechanics of it all. We have what we need. Well, Becky's here. She comes in and she situates everything in a way that it's like screams life. Right, and it's just so nice. Right? That's a motherly aspect. It's an incubating of life. It's a homemaking kind of a thing. And the reason why that's in women is because they're the image of God. That's why. You know, and and that's where the equality between men and women is found. Right? Mm -hmm. The, The equality isn't found in women can do everything men can do, or men can do everything women can do. That's not where equality is found. Equality is found in both men and women being the image of God and representing an equal aspect of the nature of God. Now, the world also wants equality. But because the world knoweth not God, the world's idea of equality is we're going to do away with men and we're going to do away with women. Women can do everything men can do and men can do everything women can do. There's no difference between them all, right? Well, that cometh not from God. That's trying to find equality through the strength of the flesh. The only equality there is, is in men and women beholding themselves in the face of God. That equals the playing field. Eternal life is what gives equality, right? Not your outward ability. That's Yeah. And so just so everybody knows, you know the world is actively, and what I want to say actively is they don't possess the ability to stop doing this. It's not like a thing they're calculating on a whiteboard. The world wants the life of God. And the world is actively trying to bring about the life of God. There's equality in eternal life. Paul would come and say there's no male or female. What he's saying there is we don't judge our value by whether we're a man or a woman. Right? There's no Jew or Gentile. We don't judge our life by what nationality we are. And so the world is trying to bring about equality. And you see the way the world thinks equality will come. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. 
And then you see the destruction that comes when they try to implement their ideas sure. about where equality comes from. <coughs> there is only one thing that levels the playing field. It's realizing that you're the image and likeness of God and that he has come to father your life and, oh yeah, mother your life. I'll just say this shocking statement to shock everyone because we talk so much about father, but God is the mother you need. Amen. God is the mother you need. Right? In the same way, we're going to let our earthly fathers off the hook. We're going to let our motherly, not our motherly fathers, our earthly mothers off the hook. Right? Because they were just a type and a shadow or a sign testifying of God being the mother that we need. We are supposed to look at them and see them pointing to God as the one we need to nurture and comfort our life. Right? We weren't supposed to look to them to be the mother we need. We're supposed to look to God to be the mother we need. (laughs) There's so much hurt in people, man, over their perception of their earthly mother and their earthly father and all the different ways they failed them. Right? And I know I'm going to offend so many people that will listen to this later. You're looking to them for something they could never give you. And that's why you're imputing their transgression to them. That's why. You're keeping a record of the wrongs they committed against you because you were looking to them, trying to get something out of them you could only get from God. The only reason why you keep a record of the wrongs committed against you is if you think you now come behind in something that you need and you think it's at their hands. We were talking about this on the way over there. Uh, And so in this context, we can say that uh, our our parents are not the cause of what caused us to feel this way. That's right. If you think they are, then they've gotten lifted up in your heart as God. Right? Is, is what's happened. And sure, plenty of our earthly mothers and earthly fathers got it completely wrong. But they weren't the life giver. <laughs> right? They're not the life giver. And what will happen is when you start to realize that, they'll get off the hook in your heart and you'll get set free. You'll get set free. Oh, your, your mother did these things to you? I understand. Right? But she's not the mother that you needed. God has always been the mother that you needed. And just because your mother got it, even if your mother got it 100% wrong, listen, that can't keep you from the good thing you need to experience life. And when you realize their transgressions against you can't keep you from life, you feel much kinder or compassionate towards them at all their transgressions because there's no sting anymore. The reason why you feel so upset with them is because of the sting you feel that's come upon your life. Well, if you realize all their transgressions can't get in the way of you having life, the sting gets healed. And when the sting gets healed, you no longer look at what they did as transgression against you. You look at what they did as them suffering at the hands of sin and death. And you begin to feel compassion towards them instead of hatred and anger and offense. Right? And you begin to see that they needed to see that God was the mother they needed. They didn't see God was the father they needed. That they were stung by death. People who are stung by death sting the people around them. People who have been nailed to a tree and don't see how God overcome the the death of the cross, do you know what they do? They walk around nailing other people to a tree. 
Every seed reproduces after its own kind. <laughs> you know, I always thought it interesting when Jesus was on a cross and John and his mother were down at the foot of the cross and he looked down and said, uh, John, behold your mother and woman, behold your son. Yeah. And how, the, the fellowship that he was enabling and establishing in the world through what he was doing that would cause us to be one because of the life that he was giving to us. That's right. And, it, you know, it's, it's in that life that we find that fellowship and that love and acceptance between one another. It's not in, uh, you know, looking to someone as if they're going to give you life. And how can I get life out of that person? That's right. What do you guys think? I've been listening to hours and hours and hours of the Johnny Depp trial. Oh, oh that's so funny. Well, it's okay for you. You're an attorney, so I can understand it. <laughs> when, when I, hopefully you won't laugh when I tell you what I'm going to tell you. Because uh, I've been doing a lot of painting, so I just link my phone to the speaker and I can listen to the whole thing. And the objections, and from an evidentiary standpoint, it's kind of interesting to me. But anyway, what they're describing, and there's a psychologist uh, describing the uh, borderline personality disorder that she's diagnosed the Amanda Heard having. I was thinking, well, I must have that too. <laughs> I mean, the, the symptoms that she's describing of how we compensate uh, uh, to guard against uh, feelings of abandonment, for example. I mean, that's in all of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm look, listening to this through the filter of what we're talking about here, of the effect of death, sin and death on the human heart. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, she's just describing what we all suffer from in this world. Right. And I was telling Callie on the way over that as I was listening to it, and I started relating it to my own life and things I how I've, you know, put up, you know, my own barriers and coping mechanisms. We all do. I didn't. I wasn't feeling any uh, regret or pain or uh, shame about it. I was just looking at it from the perspective of, you know, God's viewpoint and saying, well, yeah, it's natural that a person would do that. And it's like having, uh, even thinking back, and I remember when I had the flu, I, I had a fever, I had a scratchy throat and headache, and it was achy. Should I feel ashamed of those symptoms? No. I didn't cause the virus that caused the flu. So that's what I was alluding to earlier about, we're not the cause of the cause, nor are our parents, nor are, or is the person next to you. There's, there's something in this world that has caused this, and God has overcome it, and we can actually, in reflecting on those symptoms that we've experienced in our life, actually have peace. Yeah. yeah. And say, okay, yeah, uh, now I understand why I felt that way. Right. And my dad is not to blame for it, my brother's not to blame for it, my employer's not to blame for it, the government's not to blame for it. There's something that has happened to all of us that has made us feel a certain way, and when we understand <laughs> the rest of the story, that is that Sin and death has messed us all up, and God has overcome that, and we can actually look back and say, yeah, I remember doing something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can identify with why this person is feeling that way, but the result, uh, but the, the uh, solution is not uh, a verdict in a defamation trial. 
that's not going to restore you. Okay. No. No amount of litigation is going to restore you or make you feel better. But as I was listening to the life stories of, of Johnny Depp and some of Manhurt, and, and the analysis that was going on, I was thinking, man, it's nice to have the perspective of seeing through all this yeah. to get to the root and how the root has been cut off. Yes. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's. Powerful thing to know that. Yeah. If if your mother has failed your life in your eyes, or your father has failed your life in your eyes, and you can see the hurt that you're experiencing in life, the the struggles you experience as you walk through life, it's a sign that you need someone to be a father and a mother to your life. But it's also a sign that God is the mother and the father that you need for your life. Right? That's what it's a sign of. And we tend to judge it by the knowledge of good and evil. And we look at the evil we see that's happened to us, and we look at the evil we say has come out of them, and then we make it a judgment about us and them. Whereas if you were thinking from the mind of Christ, you could see the hell that came out of your parents towards you, you could see the hell you're experiencing, and you would just see it as a sign that God is the father and the mother that you need. And you would cry out, Abba! Instead of what then happens, what you're describing is what the scriptures would would in a roundabout way call the orphan spirit, right. right? The things you would do to compensate for what you say you didn't have, right. right? You would do things to compensate. That's how you would try and get by. That's what an orphan does, right? But really, it's not a sign that your mother or your father <laughs> were, uh, weren't were the mother and the father that you needed. They couldn't be the mother and the father that you needed anyway, it's a sign that you need God to be the father and the mother of your life. It's a sign for you to cry out to God. It's a sign that you need God. That's all that it is. Well, whether your parents did that to you or not, you needed God. So even if they had gotten everything perfect, you still needed God. Right. And if they got everything wrong, you still needed God. It might be a worse situation if you had parents that you think did everything right and you never recognized your need for eternal life. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's so many different ways to view pain and suffering, right? It become, becomes difficult for us when we scapegoat other people for our pain and our suffering. Instead of scapegoating the serpent and the death he brought into the earth, right? Because when we scapegoat other people, what tends to happen is we don't realize we need God, right? We look at those people and think if they could have gotten it right, then I would have what I need. That's a lie. That's a lie. There's no person in your life that could have gotten it right enough that you could have what you need. That's a lie. The only person that has what you need is God. Yahweh. That's the only person that has what you need. And so whatever pain you think has happened to you in this world, and I'm not despising your pain and I'm not indifferent to it. We've all hurt. We've all cried. We've all been confused. We've all been sad. We've all wondered what's going on. So I'm not despising that. But it's a sign that God's the only one that has what you need. Another way to put it is, your parents don't have the power to bring you out of the grave. That's right. Mm -hmm. And that's the best way to weigh it. So you think your parents could give you what you need? And that's how you end the conversation real quick. Can they bring you out of the grave? Mm -hmm. Because everything, all the hurt you're experiencing right now is the result of death being in the earth. And so unless they can bring you out of the grave, they don't have what you need. Yes. Right? Let them off the hook. Your heart will let them off the hook. That's called forgiveness working in you right that's not you forgiving that's forgiveness working you 
Just like faith works you. You don't work faith. Right? When you begin to view the world and life the way God does, forgiveness will work in your heart. What will happen is you'll let everybody in your life off the hook. I like to think of it this way. Uh, forgiveness happens to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an act of the will. It's something that happens to yeah. you. Yeah. It's the result of the Holy Spirit. Right? Mother in your life. God will come and be so much of a mother to your life that there won't be any space left for you to think about someone else needed to do certain things to mother your life. Yes. You'll feel so filled up that you'll feel no lack in the area of motherhood. Right? You'll no longer be able to look at your mom and think of all the ways she failed. Because you'll have all your needs that you needed from someone being your mom having been satisfied in God. And then you can just look at your mother as a person that also needed God. Right? <laughs> it's almost like a, well, it is a universal principle in terms of to your father, to your mother, to your spouse, to your best friend, to whatever you want to fill the blank with for to meet that need instead of God. That's right. It all, the, the results are consistently the same. That's right. Death. Or drugs or food. Yeah, whatever. Anything. Yeah, right, fill the blank. It's just like spouses, right? Eve was a helpmate to Adam. That, must, that doesn't mean Eve is what made Adam complete or whole. Eve was a sign to Adam that God is what makes him complete and whole, yes. and vice versa, right? That's how husbands and wives are supposed to dwell with each other, not where they're both trying to suck life out of each other, but where they're constantly serving as a reminder to each other of where the only source of life is. Well, mothers and fathers are the same thing. They're not supposed to be that which can serve the children with life. Right. They're not supposed to be that which the children's life are completely dependent upon, them having success or having a good go of it. They're supposed to be a testimony to the children of the God that is the only one that can give them what they need to have life. The God that is the only one that can pamper them with the life they need, that can comfort them with the life they need. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Jesus, his earthly parents, listen, it says Mary was righteous. Go and read it. It says she was righteous. Joseph was a righteous man. It says that he didn't put Mary away. That doesn't mean he didn't reject Mary. Do you know what it means? He had the legal authority to have her stoned in the square because she showed up with child while they were betrothed to each other, which meant... In their mind, she had been committing adultery somehow. Well, that's punishable by death. So when it says Joseph didn't put her away, him being a just man, it means he didn't put her in the square for public scrutiny and shame. And so Jesus had what you could call the perfect parents, a just father and a righteous mother. Where'd that leave him? Nailed to a tree. <laughs> If you think you could avoid the cross that's in the world by your parents being good parents, you're wrong. That's what the world would tell you. And the reason the world would tell you that is because it tried to fill you with lack in the area of your parents. It would try and fill you with the, a word about how your parents failed you and the lack you have because of how they were. And that would be with the intent to cause you to stumble over the truth and cause you to walk after the flesh all the days of your life. That's what it would be wanting to do, right? So listen, guys, I hate, to, I hate to be the great equalizer. Whether your parents got everything right or your parents got everything wrong, the world's still coming to nail you to a tree. You bet. 
And your parents getting everything right could not keep you from being nailed to a tree. The only one that can cause you to overcome the tree that the world is going to nail you to is the living God. Right? The living God. Does somebody have a, a phone with a Bible in it? Right here? Does somebody have a Bible right here? Yep. A King James Version? Yep. Pull up Proverbs 31, verse 28. And somebody read that out loud. Proverbs 31, 28. Her children are rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises praises her. Praises her. Read it again a little louder. Okay. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Listen, guys, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. And do you know why her children praise her? Because she produces life in them. Do you know why her husband praises her? Because everyone that's joined to her hears the Holy Spirit speaking comfortably to them. Right? What does Isaiah 40 say? Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Speak comfortably to them. Right? Everybody whose life has been born from the Spirit, will praise God. Everybody who's become one flesh with God through the Holy Spirit will praise God. That's what that verse is talking about. The whole book of Proverbs is a comparison between the world mothering your life and God mothering your life. That is what it's a comparison of. If you go back to chapter 8 in the book of Proverbs, it talks about the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it calls her? She. Go read Proverbs 8 and tell me that that's talking about an earthly woman that was with God in the beginning. Now ask yourself, how can I read Proverbs 8 which describes a womanly characteristic that was there with God in the beginning when he created everything? It can't be the son because it's a womanly characteristic. Then ask yourself how you get from chapter 8 that's clearly describing a woman that was with God in the beginning or a womanly nature that was with God in the beginning that incubated all life and ask yourself how you get to chapter 31 and now make that an earthly woman. Because if you can't make the, the, the womanly character that's being talked about in chapter 8, if you can't make that the character in 31, you've now read your own interpretation into it. Do you know what it says about the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1? It says that darkness and chaos were upon the earth. It was without shape and form. Do you know what the darkness and the chaos means? It means lifeless. It means disorder. It means utter confusion and desolation. That's what it means. And you know what it says in that place? That the Holy Spirit moved over the earth. And do you know what that word moved in the Hebrew speaks of? A bird brooding over its young in their nest with the intent to warm them and build up their life and nurture them. That's what it's talking about. That's what Proverbs 8 is talking about. It's giving you a magnifying glass to look into Genesis 1 where the Holy Spirit moved over the earth. And so the Holy Spirit came and incubated life or gave birth to life in the earth. And it brought quietness to the storm in the earth, to the chaos. It brought order to the confusion. It brought peace. It was a gentle touch. It was a soft voice that quieted everything. 
I remember when I was a little kid and I feel so upset, man. My mom just had this way where she would just put her hand on me and just talk to me. And you just felt, it's like all the chaos and confusion that was in you. It would just get quiet, right? Or when a baby's crying and the mother can grab the baby and rock the baby to sleep, right? That's the Holy Spirit. And you can even take Isaiah 40 and read it in to Genesis 1. You're supposed to be able to connect all these verses like this. You could see the Father and the Son and the Spirit talking. Elohim in the beginning. You could see them looking at the earth and seeing it's without shape and form. Seeing the utter dissolution, the utter confusion, the disorder, the lifelessness there. And you could see God say, the Father, speak to the Mother, the Holy Spirit, and say, Comfort ye, comfort ye, our creation. And then what does the Spirit do? Moves to give birth to life. The Holy Spirit is the seed of the Father. And then the Spirit gives birth to what? Life. It's real easy to see. Mother and Father. Why does God say, let us make man in our image after our likeness? Why does it then go on to say, male and female made he them? Because it took both a male and a female to fill out the nature of God. Because there's a fatherly nature to God. And there's a motherly nature to God. And you can view the whole gospel from that perspective. And you could see how God has sent forth his seed, which is the Holy Spirit, to do what in your life? Be the mother that you need. Give birth to life in you. <laughs> What do you think Jesus read when he read Proverbs 31? Do you think he saw that as Mary? Do you think Jesus needed to see the Holy Spirit with him in the earth? Do you think Jesus needed to know what the Holy Spirit meant to his life in the earth? I mean, the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon. Did Jesus say one greater than Solomon has come? Isn't Solomon talking about how he was reared into the truth? Nurtured into the truth? That's the scriptures nurturing Jesus into the truth. That's the scriptures talking about the Holy Spirit will give birth to life in you. The Holy Spirit, right, will speak well of you when you're nailed to the tree and the world is speaking evil of you. The Holy Spirit will stand up in the square. The Holy Spirit will stand up in your heart. The Holy Spirit will intercede in your heart in that place and speak comfortably to you. With a gentle voice and a soft touch, the Holy Spirit will comfort your flesh as it is feeling the discomfort of death. Didn't Jesus speak well of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Doesn't Proverbs 31 talk about its children will speak well of the woman? Mm -hmm. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit in John? The Comforter. The, comforter. Yeah. <laughs> the Spirit of Truth. Calls her the Comforter. Yeah. You think Jesus didn't know the Holy Spirit was going to comfort him? You think Jesus didn't know the Holy Spirit was comforting him the whole time? The Holy Spirit is the comforting hand of God resting upon your life. 
right? It's God mothering your life. I hate to tear down all of our worldly gender. Tear down all that conviction. Gender stuff that we've attributed to God. It's not inaccurate to describe God as father and mother. But what we've done is we've taken the world's idea of that and then portrayed that onto God. Right? And that's caused a big chasm. And it's how Jesus could look down from the cross and see John and his mother there. That's exactly right. And express what he expressed to him. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Right? Yeah. So you have to use the pronoun they. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. This is a, what do I want to say? This is a world-free zone. It it makes sense why the world thinks that's the way to do it. But this is a world-free zone. We're not going to interpret God by the world's way of trying to reason about these things. Right? That's right. Leave your carnality at the door. Leave your carnality at the door. But a new sign. But but even when you study the ancient Hebrew, when they describe the glory of God, which is the Holy Spirit, like the fire would come down, the light, that's the Holy Spirit. When they describe that, do you know what they call that? Shekinah. For, you know, southern people like me, we might call it Shekinah. Shekinah. Shekinah, yeah. But if you look at it in the Hebrew, it's more like Shekinah. Right? Well, that's a feminine. Go and look at it in the Hebrew. It's a feminine declaration of the word. That's really? interesting. Huh. <laughs> there's, so many, there's so many things that you could send off. and I'm getting to the place where I no longer want to just declare the truth. I'm just going to pose you guys questions and let you go figure it out. Because sometimes when I just declare the truth, there's something in the intellect that wants to... No, no, no. In light of everything we just said, go and think about what it means to honor father and mother. Ooh. We'll just use a, an example. If your mother and father are devil worshippers sacrificing their babies on the altar of Molech, do you think God wants you to honor them? No. You think He wants you to honor that? No. Okay. I got a whole series on Proverbs I've been sitting on for a long time now that will just mess up all of your thinking when you read Proverbs because we, we tend to read it carnally as a good principle to work to have life. Right? That's what you call the nugget. What else? That'll definitely get me back. Yeah, you're kidding. And that's the good thing. You guys have the Holy Spirit. Go off and think with God about these things and the Holy Spirit will bring you to Revelation. And you can forgive me for maybe asking not as many questions as I should, imposing so many declarative statements, right? And I don't fault myself for that because I do it innocently and who knows? Maybe I'm supposed to be doing it that way too. But go and consider these things. When the beginning of Proverbs talks about father and mother, slip Jesus into that. Because Jesus said, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Yes, 
Solomon is a physical person. Yes, Solomon wrote that. Yes, Solomon experienced physical things with David and his mother, where he learned the wisdom of God from them. But that is not the extent of what is being declared there. Because Jesus come and said on the road to Emmaus that everything was written of him. And so if, if it's Jesus writing that letter, who's the father and the mother that you think taught him? You think it was Mary and Joseph? I promise you it wasn't. He was in the, the, the synagogue teaching at the age of 10. And they were astonished. They were astonished. <laughs> astonished at his doctrine because he taught as one having authority. Again, in the Jewish mind, one having authority meant rabbi. You had different levels of uh, Pharisee. You had what they called scribes, which a scribe could just regurgitate what a rabbi had said. They had no authority to interpret the scriptures. The Jewish people did not think that everybody had a right to interpret the scriptures. Oh, that the church would get that revelation. They thought only certain people had a right to interpret the scriptures. Those people were called with having authority. Gamaliel would have been a guy with authority. When they say with authority, one, having the power to interpret what the scriptures mean. Well, a scribe couldn't come in and do that. A scribe could just regurgitate what the rabbi had taught them. Right? Well, they marveled at Jesus because he spoke as one having authority, meaning he came with an interpretation about the scriptures that nobody had ever heard. And that's, why, that's another reason why Jesus would come and say, don't call many men master. For you have one master, one rabbi. There's one guy that ain't a scribe. I'm a scribe. I'm not a master. I'm not rabbi. I'm regurgitating the doctrine of the only rabbi. Well, where did Jesus learn his doctrine? Solomon tells us, father and mother. Father and Holy Spirit. God's the mother you need. God's the mother you need. Amen. Ladies, a tremendous weight could come on you concerning the lives of your children. It's called the cares of this world. It's not evil to have a desire to, to mother your children's lives. It's not evil to have a desire to nurture them or to care for them. It's not evil to want to keep them from harm. But you do not want to carry the weight or the burden of that. And so, if you're carrying the weight or the burden of your children's lives being mothered, you will, that's a sign for you to engage with God and with the truth that He's the mother that they need. Right? Because that's how you'll find their lives being mothered in the way that they need. Is if you could lay down the weight that so easily besets you. It's an easy weight for a mother to pick up the life of their child. It is an easy weight. It looks good for food. It looks wise, right? And I'm not saying don't do things for your kids, but I'm saying whatever you do for your kids, let it be born from knowing that God's the mother they need. Because then you'll find yourself being able to walk with them free from the cares of the world. That's where you'll find God manifesting out of you. Right? Does that make sense? Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day.